Please listen carefully. And welcome in to another edition of the Heard It Here podcast. It is a pleasure to be here with y'all. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Heard. Today, gonna be doing a little bit of an a uh, little bit of an improv- improvisational podcast. Uh, I'm gonna be doing, as you can probably tell by the title, this is gonna be a trade-based podcast. Uh, but instead of just coming on here with like six or seven trade ideas, what I did was I went through the uh, list of teams in the NBA and just scored them 0 through 7 on how likely I thought they were to make a trade this year. Um, Just, I I ended up doing two or three tracks through it. Um, I I think I penciled in, I have it right here, I penciled in uh, Golden State and Charlotte as my two zeros. The two thing, the two teams I don't even think are picking up the phone. Um, Golden State because, well, I don't think I really need to explain to you why with Golden State they could possibly have the number one overall pick next year, uh, as well as Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and D'Angelo Russell, who looks awfully good, if I do say so myself. Um... I don't think they're going to disrupt anything they have. And so I actually, I think that I should refine the point there. Um, They are not going to trade D'Angelo Russell. They're not going to trade Kevon Looney. Uh, They're not going to trade Draymond Green. I don't even know if that would be uh, possible, but they're not going to do that. Uh, If if they were going to trade someone like Lynn Robinson III, maybe. I, I think... If you're trading a minimum contract guy, though, you're not really getting any return, and the Warriors are hard-capped, which really limits the uh, the financial flexibility they have. They, they are very close to that number, and that is a number you simply are not allowed to go over. You, you cannot exceed that number. Um, so I, I, I just don't really see them being active on the trade. And the Hornets... Um, not necessarily in the same situation, but I think they believe they have a perfectly reasonable chance at the playoffs. And the Hornets are not going to sacrifice that by making a trade. Um, there seems to be very vir- virtually no way they would upgrade their team with a trade. I mean, so, uh, so I guess this is more on a response. I've seen lots of people talk about how Marvin Williams will... Or maybe not as much will as just would be a great fit on so many different contenders. And, oh, look, he's a great trade fit to here and there. I just don't think he's going to get traded. The Hornets are not going to do that. And to be honest, they probably would, it wouldn't make sense to, not given the paltry return they would likely get. Um, he's on a reasonable contract. He's maybe $15 million a year. He's a solid starter. He plays backup center for them on occasion, a small ball center. He's got a great frame. He's strong. He's a smart veteran. And sometimes he gets really hot uh, from outside. He's, he's a very effective all-around player. Uh, very good sixth, maybe fifth best player on your team. Um, 
they, they are not giving they're not giving him up for a couple second rounders. It's just not happening. That's not how the Hornets operate. Um, other than that, I just do not see. I just don't see those two teams making a deal. Um, Chicago and Washington, I marked uh, with a one, just meaning I think there's virtually no chance they make a trade. Obviously, Washington uh, with the Bertans, uh, Bertans situation, situation meaning he's going to be an unrestricted free agent this year, and he's very good, um, and a lot of teams want him. <laughs> That's what I mean by situation. Uh, it is possible that a team comes in and completely bowls over the Wizards with a trade offer for Davis Bertans. I would certainly not expect it. In fact, I would consider it very unlikely. Hence the one, and hence why I'm I'm not going to be discussing them in this exercise. Um, Chicago, I just don't think they're going to mess up this team. I think it's a new team. Uh, with veterans, uh, it, it's got a mix of the veterans, young guys. I think they have a lot of belief in this core. I think this is probably, to an extent, their last stand. Uh, Garpax as a unit. Um, I, I, I just don't believe that they are in a position where they want to make a move uh, during the season, at the very least. And I believe that's a pretty uh, important distinction for us to make. Moving guys during the offseason is one thing. You're doing, you're in the process of signing free agents. You're um, dealing with player options. You're dealing with team options. You don't really know how you're going to handle those until the, the time comes in some cases. Um, there's a lot more, you know, unpredictability in the offseason. There's a lot more, okay, we're starting from scratch. This is the middle of the season. We're like 35 games in. Trade, trade deadline comes, you know, halfway, maybe a little more than halfway through the season. Like, you're not going to – it's it's not um, it's not a restart. It's not a restart like the beginning of the season is. It's the middle of the season. If you're trading, guys, that can be very disruptive to team chemistry, to the flow of your game, to, you know, how people communicate on defense. If one guy doesn't really know what's going on, not only is it going to mess up your defense, but it's going to frustrate the other players. And I think very often you forget when you're playing with a, a teammate that doesn't really know how to play basketball, it's not as much that he's bad. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating. It, it, that's just a human component of it. Um, those were the four teams that I marked. It's just like I don't, I don't foresee a trade as possible. Um, obviously, the, the Bertans disclaimer – I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, I think the trade package would be have, have to be more like two first-round picks. Or like a first-round pick and, you know, Kyle Kuzma. Which, like, the Lakers don't have a first-round pick. That would be... They, I don't think they have a first-round pick at all. But certainly not one that would be worth the Wizards' time. Um, I think you're going to have to throw, like, a couple first-round picks that are, like, going to be in the late teens. Or you're going to have to send them actual assets. I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, and then there were a few teams in this range of... Uh, again, it was I just did numbers. So this two range, which was more of just a... I, I, I would certainly not predict a trade. I would be somewhat surprised. Um, and again, this is not a trade of your 11th player. You're, you know your two-way guy. I'm talking about a trade of a legitimate rotation player 
or I trade for a legitimate rotation player. Um, a, a legitimate playoff rotation player for most of these teams, too. That's that's usually the goal. Um, so this was, a te- this was a group of teams I thought was probably not going to be seeking out a trade, probably not going to be um, necessarily anxious to make a trade, but if the right offer comes across their desk, I could certainly see them making the move. Um, for the purpose of this exercise, I, I will use these teams if a really good deal comes up, but in general, these are teams I would predict um, are not going to move, make a move unless it's pretty favorable to them. Um, whether or not it's favorable to both sides, that's another story. So these teams I had, um, I had the Milwaukee Bucks, um, who I simply just, I, I, don't, I don't see a move that's going to, so last year the Miritich move was, was a pretty clear one. Uh, it, was a, it was a pretty cheap price. I don't foresee a move like that that would be for a reasonable price this year, uh, both in terms of the trade assets and in terms of the contract that you're trading for, which, I mean, it's just... So take, for example, Gallinari. Gallinari is great, but you're going to have to get up to like $22 million in salary to trade for him. So Ersan Ilyasova's $7 million is not going to do it, unfortunately. So I just... I think Milwaukee is more of a fringe trade candidate. I think if something comes across their desk, we'll see. We'll talk about it. Um, Indiana uh, and Brooklyn, two teams I think you can kind of group together. They are waiting for their superstar to to come back. Uh, Superstar might be a little bit generous with Victor Oladipo, but, I mean, he's... He he was... (laughs) He was certainly uh, a high-end star. Um, His... I guess it was not last year, but, you know, before his injury... Um, his, his one year where he made it on NBA. Um, I, I, I just don't really, I don't think these guys are going to mess with what they have. And I don't see any obvious, you know, expiring contracts or there are no obvious moves to be made, no obvious assets to be dangled. I think that's one thing. If you have like a, you know, like the Mavericks last off season, if they hadn't made the Porzingis move, it would have been like, okay, well, you have Dennis Smith Jr., who is was just the ninth overall pick. He's clearly got, you know, n- not not a tremendous value, although with the Porzingis deal, you could argue he had pretty significant value. But he had, he had real value as a young asset. Um, he was a real trade chip. So I just don't really see as many teams um, with... Uh, uh, sorry, I don't really see any of those players on Indiana or Brooklyn. Um, all of their players are either contributing or they're like like on the nets like Wilson Chandler. I, I don't know if he's actually he might be suspended. I I haven't really kept up with the nets this year. It's been a little uh I I, I, I try to try to follow the happy situations, you know? I, I don't need all that negative although, you know, I really do need to tune in to Spencer Dinwiddie, uh the Spencer Dinwiddie Nets. I, I, I honestly, I am doing myself a disservice by not watching them. So I may have to recant on this whole thing. Um, let's press forward, though. Orlando, I also gave a two. I think that, you know, there's guys on the roster that you could trade. I just, I don't think anyone really has a clear idea of what the motives are in Orlando. 
Um, they are the eighth seed right now. They seem to be a shoe in for the eighth seed uh, as long as nothing terrible goes wrong. Um, I, I just don't see them messing with a playoff berth in Orlando. And I don't, I don't foresee, they don't have any, again, this is a situation they don't have any clear salary to trade. They don't have anyone they are, they either A, need to trade or B, you know, have available to trade um, that would, that would allow them to go out and put together a bunch of different trade packages in an attempt to find the right one. Because that's that's a thing. It's not just, okay, well we have this perfect trade and let's go offer it to the team. No, you have to do like, you know, you do you do five different trades with twelve variations each. That's that's how you get a trade done in the NBA. It's it's very it's and that's just the starting point. Um that then you have, you know, back and forth negotiations on the pick protections of the second rounder. Um again Let's press forward. I don't, I don't need to spend that much time talking about this. Um, a couple that I think might be a little more surprising. Uh, actually, so Sacramento and Memphis, two that are not as surprising. Memphis, young team. Uh, maybe they do some sort of you know salary dump or something around the edges. They showed a phenomenal job to do uh, work around the edges this offseason. Um, they... They, they sort of moved on from uh, Chris Wallace this past offseason and promoted uh, Zach Kleiman to head of basketball, like day-to-day operations. He's the GM, effectively. He's the one that makes all the calls. And he did a wonderful job on the margins this last offseason. Stuff like, um, the, I think the Iguodala trade is obviously the most prominent one uh, with them picking up Iguodala, who they are trying to move for positive trade value, as well as a top four protected Golden State pick out, I believe, maybe 2024, 2023. So a a, a ways down the line, um, Steph, Draymond, Clay are going to be in their mid-30s at that point. The team is not going to look the same at that point. They picked up a real asset uh, by taking on Andre Iguodala so that the Golden State Warriors could... uh, could, could, could execute the DeAndre, uh, not, not DeAndre, D'Angelo Russell for Kevin Durant sign-and-trade with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, unfortunately for the Warriors, that meant they were sacrificing a pick that Memphis has later been able to turn around, and at the very, at the very least, they're trying to use Andre Goodall as a positive asset. Um, he, he also had a transaction uh, with the Phoenix Suns where he... Uh, it was it was the Josh Jackson trade. Uh, so the Suns gave up Josh Jackson and DeAnthony Melton, who was a, a guy a lot of uh, draft Twitter guys were very uh, draft Twitter individuals were very fond of. Um, sort of a you know bigger skilled guy. Uh, sorry, a bigger skilled guard like six four, but really impressive defensive player. Um, they picked. D'Anthony Melton up, got Josh Jackson on that trade. They sent, <clears throat> excuse me, they sent out Javon Carter, who was a guy. I mean, I liked. Uh, played four years at West Virginia. Also a really strong defensive guy. Um, you know, questionable as a as a lead offensive guard though. So, I think Melton probably has a little more upside. Um, the beauty of it though, Memphis picks up the second round pick from uh, from the Suns. Incredible. Um, 
I think the last thing to mention would be, obviously, they drafted Brandon Clark, uh, and not just that, but they drafted him uh, at the 21st overall pick. But they had the 23rd overall pick. They traded up two slots to Oklahoma City to acquire him. Obviously, they knew what they were doing. They they wanted Clark. Um, they have done a fantastic job introducing him into lineups with John Morant, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. They look like a legitimate trio of prospects now, as opposed as, as opposed to just John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. as the future. Brandon Clark, clearly not um, at the caliber of those players, but looks like he could be a fantastic role player, even maybe as a starter with those guys. So now that just leaves the teams that I actually think are going to be involved in the trade talks this, uh, this uh, trade deadline. So teams are marked with a three, which is sort of like uh, probably actively listening on trade calls. Uh, they might be, they might not be initiating calls, but they are actively on the market listening for uh, guys that teams may consider assets that they believe they can get value for. Um, I, those teams, I think Boston, I think Danny Age is always going to be looking to, you know, he's always looking to pick up value on the margins or, you know, in bulk if he can. Um, Detroit, just because. I do think there's some validity to the idea that uh, Andre Drummond has not signed an extension, so he and the Pistons clearly do not agree on his future salary. I don't think Andre Drummond's necessarily going to do anything the rest of this year to prove that he deserves that. Unlike Brandon Ingram, who I think that's a case where he didn't get his mask, he didn't get his extension, sorry, his rookie extension over the summer before the deadline but he is probably going to get a max contract from the Pelicans in the offseason. That's because he's proven it this season and because he was traded there and because he had injury concerns. There's a whole lot of extenuating circumstances with Brandon Ingram. He's certainly the exception. Um, and I think the, the you know, I don't know what the opposite of exception is. The, the, general, the, the general case of this rule would be a guy like Andre Drummond uh, DeMar DeRozan is the other example I've heard given in a couple of podcasts. I want to see maybe Sam Vecini's is the one I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of. Um, but DeMar DeRozan and Andre Drummond, both of those guys, have not received contract extensions, which means that um, either the teams are not willing to pay them up to the 27 or so million that they're making right now uh, in a long-term extension, or that the players... Uh, want more than that $27 million. Or it could be a combination of the two. They just want more than the team uh, can physically pay them, and maybe the team still wouldn't pay them uh, even if they could. So I, I think Andre Drummond is a guy who should be considered gettable. Um, I don't think the Pistons are going to go out shopping him, uh, at least not actively. Maybe if they think of a few good, you know, amazing trades they could get. But... I think they're actively listening, uh, and I I don't know. You hear you you see all these like Blake Griffin trades and whatever, and people seem to think that's a thing. That seems really weird to me. There is new management, but he is still the superstar. Um, he's certainly he's he's been pretty bad this year though, uh, for his standard. He is he is appears to be in significant decline. Um, 
it's possible that they could... The thing is, they're not going to get anything in trade for him. Or at the very least, it'll be viewed as more of a... Uh, more of a salary dump, just given Blake Griffin is making, I believe it's more like mid-30 million, uh, 36 million maybe this year and uh, going forward in the next couple of seasons. So it's just, it's very, it's so difficult to match that level of production. Um, and if you're not one of the 10, 15 best players, you're not going to do it, especially if you're not playing 80 80, you know, 80 to 82 games. That's sort of the other way that you would be able to match that is be at an all-star level and play 82 games, 32 minutes a game. It's possible you could match, you know, $30 million worth of value, 35 even. And Blake Griffin is most certainly a, um, a, a I would say, a top 20 player probably in the NBA uh, when he is healthy, even, in you know, at 80, 85% health. Um I just, I, I don't think, so I guess I, I view Blake Griffin more in the vein of Kevin Love. I believe Blake Griffin is far more valuable as a centerpiece than Kevin Love, but Kevin Love is probably a little more malleable just in terms of fitting him on your team. Though I, I do, um, I, I, I guess I would need to go watch Blake Griffin's uh, defense more and like look at the numbers, but... I imagine when he's healthy, he's got to be a significant uh, upgrade from Kevin Love. Though, I, I again, I don't know enough to prove that. Um, I think Blake's deal is, <laughs> I think it's a good like eight to ten million dollars more per year than Kevin Love's. Though, uh, I believe both may have this remaining year and then two afterwards. Blake Griffin likely has a player option at the end of his, which uh, he will be accepting. It's going to be something like $40 million at the end. Um, quite a quite a number there. Um, I guess the point, though, with the Pistons, I, I, I think a, an Andre Drummond deal is feasible. I think a Blake Griffin deal, I'm pretty dubious. But, I, I mean, I guess if, if, if someone made a huge offer similar to the offer the Pistons made the Clippers the first time around, which... I mean, people were ridiculing that the first time around. I don't think it's going to... If, if it happens this time around, it's going to be, you know, half as valuable as the assets the Pistons gave up. And even then, that deal is probably going to be ridiculed. Um, at the same time, though, I don't think it's impossible that a team would give up assets for Blake Griffin. Uh, assets meaning, you know, a, a marginal lottery ticket guy and salary that matches that is not all dead salary. Maybe you get like $15, 20000000 million worth of value between two players that are traded to match Blake's salary. Um, and other than that, I, I know Kyrie Thomas is a guy that it was drafted uh, high in the second round, I believe in 2018. Um, I think actually Detroit drafted him and uh, Bruce Brown, who has sort of taken the rotation spot that Kyrie Thomas was you know, ho hoping to take uh, Bruce Brown sort of been at one of their backup, not even backup some of the times, uh, one of their, one of the just a, a secondary ball handler for them. Um, Kyrie Thomas has been out of the rotation. I think he probably has a little bit of value around the league. Maybe they move someone like him. But again, um, I, I, I wanted this segment to be more of a focus on 
players that are in the rotation. I, I want this to be moves uh, moves regarding your top eight players, probably. Because, again, um, I think the NBA is it's, it's one of the most playoff-focused sports in the league. I think much more than the NFL, much more than college football. Those are the two sports I, I really watch outside of basketball. So, obviously, it's one sport, it's football, but... Um, I, I guess I, so I, I played lacrosse in high school. Um, I watched a little lacrosse when I was younger. Uh, soccer, obviously soccer, uh, stuff like the, I believe, uh, most of the just uh, national leagues in Europe, the major soccer leagues, they don't have a playoffs. There, there are various, there's the Euro Cup and there's whatnot that you go to, but in terms of just the regular, you know, the league you play in, like La Liga in Spain does not have the La Liga playoffs. If you win the regular season, you just win the regular season. And, like, that's it. Whoever gets the most points due to wins, uh, ties, etc., um, <laughs> they won the season. It's not like that in the playoffs. It's not like that. If, they, if, if it was like that, we wouldn't have seen the Houston Rockets making the finals in 1986. You know, we wouldn't have seen that run with the... Uh, with the Knicks, um, I believe it was in the shortened season, the 50-game the season, where they made that run. It's just, uh, the NBA has always been a more playoff-focused league, uh, and that is no more true than the last you know decade or so, last five years, really, um, as we started to have the, well, as we had the uh, Cleveland and Golden State dominance, it was it was just clear that the regular season was a foregone conclusion and we were waiting for the playoffs to see, well, can anybody, can anybody challenge either of these teams? And we saw in 2018, the Rockets did it. Uh, absolutely, they challenged them. Um, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make, though, with all of this is I, I'm just not that concerned with uh, a trade between... So I think the, the a, a trade like the Josh Jackson... Uh, DeAnthony Melton for Javon Carter trade. That's a trade I don't really care about in this exercise. In the offseason, or I mean, it's, uh, when that trade comes out, let's be honest, like I'm going to be super excited. Like I, I love any trade on the margins, any trade at all. But I don't believe that's going to alter the course of this season. What, what I do believe is that a transaction like that is much more important than the offseason because, number one, you're probably maneuvering your uh, salary you're you know you're just you're you're messing with the salary cap you're messing with the number of players you have on roster you're setting yourself up for the for the season as opposed to here you're in the middle of the season you're not setting anything up you're just trying to adapt on the fly um i mean if you're a bad team you're picking up a guy to try to develop that's one thing but once we're into the season, what I care about is this season. Who's going to win the title this year? Once we're into the off season, yeah, we're planning for three, four, five years. And obviously, you know, when the Pelicans make their trade, uh, if the Pelicans make a trade, sorry, this off season, I'm going to say, okay, how does this affect them? You know, five years from now. But I'm not going to come out here and theorize all the different ways a team can tank, all the different ways the Knicks can do whatever. I. I I, I'm, you know, while we're in the season, I am interested in the winners, the guys that are be there, the, the teams that are gonna be there in the playoffs. Uh, once we get to the off season, <laughs> when we're talking about the draft, then I will talk about the Knicks and the uh, the Warriors 
etc. Um, we're talking about the big boys now, though. So let me. So yeah, l- l- let me move on. Um, hit Boston. Hit Detroit. Also in this range, I, I had Cleveland. I think Cleveland. Obviously, they do have the um, the Kevin Love. Uh, the idea of a Kevin Love tra- trade sort of hanging over them. Um, I I guess, I mean, so the reason I have them in this tier... So, I you know what? I, I guess um, I would just point back to Detroit. I would say I think this is a similar situation to Andre Drummond. I think Cleveland is going to be a team that is actively listening uh, to offers on Kevin Love, but is not going to be actively pursuing offers. Uh, I do not believe they are going to be making many trade calls. Um, in fact, obviously the fact that they uh, already made that the, the Jordan Clarkson trade uh, for jo- Jordan Clarkson uh, was sent to Utah, uh, and in return Cleveland received from Utah Dante Exum, a young point guard who was taken, I believe, fifth overall in the 2014 draft, uh, suffered a, a few season-ending injuries, has, has really struggled with injury, um, that is really, it's clearly just hampered his skill development. Um, and, and he was never the most cerebral basketball player. Uh, he was the guy that was going to need to learn on the floor. Unfortunately, he's just lost so many years of skill development and, and just time to learn on the floor. And now all of a sudden he's, I would imagine, 25 years old, something like that. I mean, he's not old, but he is... He's raw. He's a raw twenty-five-year-old player, and that's uh, it's not good. That's why, uh, that's why the Jazz gave up two seconds to to get off of him. Jordan Clarkson could certainly uh, help that team just in terms of you know offensive creation, likely off the bench. Um, point I point, point I was making there though is Cleveland has already made this one trade. Uh, they're they're probably li- less likely to make another one just because now that asset Jordan Clarkson is gone. Um, but just because I, I think, you know, just the more trades you're making, the more pieces you're moving around, I, I think GMs don't like to make. Um, I, I think unless you're in a situation like Cleveland was in two years ago uh, in LeBron's last season in Cleveland, uh, that was a situation where, it, it, you know, LeBron was just unhappy. Things were clearly not going well. They needed a a culture shift, so trading virtually everybody at the deadline that was their culture shift. Um, I I mean, I, I certainly the Cavs could look to keep moving on from veterans. Um, Tristan Thompson was a guy that stood up for John uh, Beeline in the media after the reports came out about the discontent from veterans. He also sort of had I, I believe he had an outburst um, or sort of a an argument with Beeline on the bench uh, during a game maybe this past week. So, and I know he's probably the most enticing asset left on their roster in terms of playable veterans. I think Kevin Love is certainly the superior player, but Tristan Thompson it makes, I believe, 16 maybe $18 million. Kevin Love's $30 million is simply, it's an order of magnitude harder to move. Um, and, and, Thompson will be a free agent this upcoming summer. There has been a lot of talk, though, that Cleveland would like to re-sign Tristan Thompson, however. Not particularly surprising to me. 
Um, this is not a team that expects to win next year, to be certain, or, or even three years from now. Um, so you might say, it's weird, why are they paying money to a guy that is not a young prospect? Well, you're not going to, you can't sign 13 young prospects. It just won't work. You have to have a couple adults in the locker room, a couple guys that will go and just slam down your dunks and, you know, play hard defense and get rebounds and just play basketball. A guy that's been in the locker room with LeBron James for four years and with Kyrie Irving for seven or eight years and a guy that's won a, a title. Um, I think that's incredible, incredibly valuable to have around. I think um, – I don't know how many of y'all listened to Jamal Crawford's appearance on Howard Beck's podcast, The Full 48. Uh, I want to say it was maybe a month ago or so. But uh, Howard's been doing this segment, uh, Commissioner for a Day. And Jamal Crawford, I thought, had a great idea when he... Uh, not, not, and I don't know necessarily it's the rule that you would implement, but I just thought the concept was fantastic, that... Uh, NBA teams would be mandated to have two veterans, probably like a, a 10 years experience um, on their team, on, on their roster at any given time. And, and I'm a huge fan of the idea. Um, I actually had sort of sort of pondered an idea, just it's something that just sort of floated in my head. I've never really talked it out with anybody. Um, but so we have these two-way contracts now, right? Could we have a one or two veteran slots, two guys that, I don't know, maybe they only, maybe you could do a similar game restriction. Maybe they're not going to the G League, but they can only play in 30 games. Um, and maybe their salary is prorated. Maybe um, maybe you do some sort of deal where they're only, you know, getting paid half the salary, but they only play half the games. Um I, I don't know. Maybe the idea would even be you have one or two guys that are sort of veterans that are almost, it's like practice squad. It's like you play in practices, you uh, are there on the bench, you're a, a teammate, but you don't actually play in games. Um, I mean, I guess that's sort of just an assistant coach, but I think I think I just think there's something different about the guy standing beside you with a jersey on at practice every day, even if he's not playing in games. Uh, that's 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 one of my, that's just one of my oddball sort of pipe dreams, though, I guess. Um, I think back to Cleveland, um, I, I don't know. I, 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 there, there are certainly trades that could be made with this team. Um, it's just nothing that really jumps out to me as urgent. And if you don't have that sense of urgency, it's just so much more likely that you, you know, hold your cards at this point in the season. Uh, next team would be the Knicks. The Knicks, uh, uh, just another team. Um, I think they are probably not going to be picking up the phone to call other teams. Um, although, you know... It, it's hard to really know. At this point, it seems like the front office has worn out its welcome with James Dolan, uh, which gives you the impression that they are not going to have the power to make moves this offseason. Um, and I don't particularly know that I would expect Dolan or whoever it is that he entrusts to come in uh, and sort of work around 
or over the top of his incumbent uh, president and GM. I, I don't know that I trust either of those individuals, whoever they may be, um, to 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 make a great savvy Marcus Morris trade. I don't expect them to get on the market and sell high on Alonzo Trier. Um, I, I I've just <laughs> uh, if the Knicks. I would just be scared of what the Knicks do. I, I I think everyone making these Marcus Morris deals where it's like, yeah, I guess the Knicks, the Knicks could accept that, but it's really just a one-sided deal where, you know, the Knicks would just be trading him just to get any sort of return. Knicks aren't, they're not going to do that. They're not that sort of franchise. If it was the Memphis Grizzlies, yeah, they would do that. They need to trade uh, Iguodala for a second rounder. They're probably going to do that at some point, um, as long as it doesn't involve taking on um, just just pure dead salary. I think if they can maybe get you know ten million dollars in salary, so te- so uh, I guess a guy who so Iguodala makes I believe seventeen million this year. If you get a guy who makes seventeen million but is worth eleven million. Um, and you can also get a, you know, second round pick that's in the top top forty. I think that is. I mean, that's that's fine. That's good. That's what you do. If that's the best deal you can get, you do it. Um, the Knicks, if the best they can do for Marcus Morris is is a guy worth you know ten million dollars on a fifteen million dollar deal, uh, and the thirty seventh pick in this. You know the 2021 draft. I don't think they do it. I don't. I don't know. I don't know that they do it. Um, number one, I just don't know that they're savvy enough to really negotiate to that point. Number two, I don't know if they really understand the value of that. Uh, they. 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 This is not an organization that appears to value uh, anything on the margins. Again, I, I talked about with that Memphis deal. Just Memphis in general, Zach Kleiman. I believe he has uh, really proven himself to be effective at working on the margins. And I believe that is one of the, in fact, it might be the uh, most critical critical part of team building. Um, obviously, finding a superstar is what enables your team to compete for a championship. But I think that might be more of just a, um, I think that may be more random than we give credit to. And the ability to find one or two superstars. Now, you're Sam Presti and you draft Kevin Durant, and then Russell Westbrook, and then James Harden. Okay, you might have a knack for it. Um, I, and and I'm sh- there are certainly, you know, individuals who have better eyes for top-tier talent than others. But I, I think the point I was trying to make is you have one or two opportunities to get that superstar. Or, or at the very least, you're getting one or two of those superstars eventually, maybe. Um, with these marginal moves, that's an every-year Thing. That's an every day coming to the office. Okay, what move can we make today? How can we get this franchise incrementally better? And I think um, I don't know if the Knicks are ever gonna ever gonna do that until they just have an overhaul of management. Uh, when I say management, I mean top level management, and by that I mean ownership. Uh, that might not be the right phrase. I might have just made that up. But you get what I'm saying. Um, let's move on now. Touch on these last three teams I had in this tier. 
Atlanta, the Hawks. This is actually a team. Um, I I I almost put them in the. Uh, you know, I almost want to put them in the four category. Uh, I had one team in the four category. Um, I almost want to put them there because I do see a a possibility in which Andre Drummond trade rumors start to come out, and Atlanta is incredibly active at trying to make a trade for Andre Drummond. Also, I could see them being incredibly active at trying to make a Steven Adams trade. I could see either of those being... Um, I, I could see Atlanta putting considerable amounts of assets into those either of those two deals. Um, obviously, they have... Uh, a, a few young guys. It's, it's it's hard to imagine them trading any of the young guys. Uh, Cam Reddish would probably be the one guy that would be a legitimate asset that they would be willing to part with, uh, if only because he was drafted lower and has had a pretty horrid rookie year, though. Um, I, I, <laughs> if you watched Cam Reddish, you knew this was going to happen. Uh, and I think... Uh, most m- most in the draft community would have said, number one, yes, Cam Reddish is going to suck his first year. He's going to be one of the worst players in the NBA. He was not good at Duke. Uh, and number two, he's probably worth the number 10 pick because uh, he, is, he is incredibly skilled. He has a great body. He has a great... Um, he moves incredibly well. He has all of the things you can't teach, everything you have to be born with uh, physically. And in terms, not, not just physically in terms of his frame, I, I feel like sometimes you, you overestimate the frame, um, you know, just the guy's tall or has a long wingspan. He moves very fluidly. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think he's got a lot of potential and a lot of teams would jump at the chance to take him. At the same time, I don't believe the Hawks would be trading him. Uh, maybe you get value for Jabari Parker. You know, he's got a $6.5 million, uh, player option. He's probably going to decline this upcoming season. Uh, maybe they could move him as an expiring. I, I believe he would have a... Maybe, yeah, no, I don't know. He, he might have an implicit no-trade clause. Um, even if he does, though, I, I don't imagine he would be too upset about going uh, to another team given that this Hawks team is pretty measly. Uh, as far as picks, the Hawks do have all their firsts going forward. And they also have that Brooklyn uh, lottery-protected uh, first coming in this year. Uh, that goes for three years, and then I believe if they don't get it for three years, which if the Brooklyn Nets are in the lottery for the next three years, um, we have we have bigger, bigger fish to fry. Uh, if that does happen, though, Brooklyn's first will convert into two seconds, uh, 22 and a 24 second rounders. Uh, Atlanta is pretty, pretty, uh, they're missing their, they, they do not have their second rounders the next two years. So they are a little dry on second rounders. I, I believe though, if you, um, it, it's just so easy to get a deal done using Chandler Parsons, $25 million salary this year. Uh, Evan Turner, Alan Crabb make 18.6 and 18.5 respectively. It's just so easy to get up to uh, Stephen Adams making around 25 million, Andre Drummond making around 27 million. Those are just really easy numbers to hit when you have Chandler Parsons making 25 million dollars. 
uh, and all three of those guys expiring deals. So the more I think about it, this team might not even be a four. They might be like a five or a six. Because that's, that's three expiring deals totaling, golly, what is that? Like, like, like 61 million in salary? That's like $61 million in salary. That's, oh, that's, so their, uh, the Hawks total team salary is 103 million. That's like, well, it's pretty much 60% of their entire team's salary, uh, and expiring contracts. I would be stunned if one of those three is not moved. Uh, there aren't that many awful long-term deals out there. It's kind of the problem. Um, I, I think what you look for with the Hawks, they're either going to be moving uh, assets for one of those, uh, one of those, you know, good starter-level centers uh, on large contracts, Stephen Adams or Andre Drummond. If the price on Drummond drops low enough, um, they could also be looking. I, I think something in the realm of Gorgie Jang. Uh, and a first-round pick from the Timberwolves, uh, maybe for Evan Turner or Alan Crabb, something along those lines. Uh, I, I mean, if you think about it, Georgie Jang is... Oh, God. Georgie Jang is probably the... Uh, he's the second-best center on this roster. Al Alex Lynn is better than Georgie Jang, I would say. Uh, that's... Oh, God. Yeah. Um, if you guys just turn off the podcast after hearing that comparison, uh, good on you. Uh, I, I wish I had enough respect for myself to do the same. Uh, I do have enough respect for myself, though, to move on. Uh, hit these last two teams because we are going on 45 minutes now. Uh, might have to break this up into a two-parter. We will see. Uh, last two teams, though, the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the Phoenix Suns are... Certainly different than these other teams. Um, and Atlanta, to an extent, I think is going to be more active. I, I, again, I said, though, I, I think Atlanta, I may have miscategorized them as a three. I, th I think they may be more on the uh, likely active tier, if not even higher than that. Um, Phoenix, Phoenix is interesting just because they are in this push for the playoffs, or, or at least they were early on. They've fallen off, had a lot of injury concerns, but, you know, they've got Aiton back now. They've got, I believe they have Baines back now. Yeah. So, actually, uh, Aaron Baines is back. He's played the last few games. Uh, DeAndre Aiden is, however, he's been inactive the last couple of games. He's day-to-day -day with an ankle injury. Um, obviously, though, the rest of their season is going to be, at this point, it's, it's tough to imagine them making the playoffs, although the bottom of that West is certainly uh, up for grabs. I would I would put I, I would certainly bet on Portland over the Suns at this point. Though though the Suns certainly showed at the beginning of the year they've got the capacity to be a winning team with this roster. Um, it's just going to be difficult to fit in uh, DeAndre Aiden and Aaron Baines. I'm a little worried that that is going to cause more problems than it does excess benefits, at least at the, in the beginning. It, it's not, you're not putting Ralph Sampson beside Hakeem Olajuwon, okay? It, it, you know, DeAndre Ayton's good, Aaron Baines is good, but they're not the Twin Towers. They're not, the, the, come on now. Um, I, and, and, and you know what? I like both of those guys too. 
Baines has had a great season. I, I think uh, Aiden has been unfairly sort of – it just it, – it, so when you are drafted number one overall over a guy that ends up playing like Luke, Luka Doncic has these last two years, you, you're going to just be uh, viewed in a different lens. Uh, I, I think if you look at Aiden in a vacuum, though, I think he's a good player. Uh, was he worth the number one overall pick? Maybe not. He's a good player, though. That's where we are now. Um, the, the draft didn't just take place. That was two years ago. Where are we now? Well, Aiton's a pretty good player. Uh, and, and certainly worth trying to fit around Baines, at least for now, because Baines was awesome for them early on. He's done a great job setting that culture for them. Uh, and I think, at least for the season, they want to try to get back to that. So Now, clearly, this this the Suns are probably not going to make the playoffs, uh, unfortunately. Uh, they they did have that hot start the first eight or so games. Uh, they may have been may have started like five and two, five and three. I think it was five and two actually, and one of those was an overtime loss to Denver. So um, could have been even better, but uh, clearly uh, they they they're now eleven and twenty. So I believe they lost eight or nine straight. Um, their most recent win actually will be our next team that we're talking about. Get to them in a second, um, but the Suns. Clearly, um, n- not a n- not a favorite for the eighth seed. Let's let's put it that way. Um, I would say their playoff odds are pretty small at this point. Um, you got OKC, Portland, both uh, in the seven eight seeds right now. I believe neither of them seem like they're getting caught by Phoenix to be sure. Um, and even the teams like Sacramento. I don't think Sacramento is uh, getting jumped by Phoenix. I, I would imagine the Spurs will likely finish above Phoenix. So, so I'm I'm not particularly convinced that the Suns are going to make a playoff push, but I believe that they may make some sort of move um, that they believe can help them be competitive. Maybe maybe partially this year, but but you know more likely a guy they help they think can help them be competitive for a couple of years. Uh, for instance, picking up that Dario Saric uh, sort of expiring contract this offseason uh, for moving down to the 11th pick. I think Dario Saric is an example of a guy. Uh, they did the same thing with Kelly Oubre, where these are not 20-year-olds. They were young, to be fair. Uh, Oubre especially was maybe 21 or 22. Uh, but they had played in the NBA for four years. They had played out pretty much their entire first contract. So... Uh, they were not necessarily unknown commodities when they came in. Um, I would expect Phoenix to do something more like that if they are making a move. A, a guy that they believe is closer to helping them win um, as opposed to someone that's three years away. So I, I don't expect them to trade for any uh, lottery ticket types. I, I don't think that's what their team is looking for right now. Last team in my tier of three, well, on a tier of three tier of three ranked teams, um, Minnesota, the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, also in that, the tie, tied for the uh, 13th seed in the West currently with the aforementioned Phoenix Suns, both of those teams are 11 and 20, and both uh, f- have followed a very similar trend this season, starting out hot, uh, the Timberwolves I believe started something like 7 and 5, at the very least, they had a positive record about 15 games in. Since then, the uh, bottom has certainly fallen out. 
the Wolves pulled out a win on Thursday, uh, the 26th, versus Sacramento. That was their first win in, I believe, 11 games. However, uh, their last win before that had <laughs> also been... Uh, oh, sorry, that's that's S-A-S. So that was at the Spurs, uh, beating all the uh, the S S teams, all the S A teams. Uh, oh God, um, yeah, no. So the Minnesota Timberwolves obviously started out the season hot, as I mentioned. Carl Anthony Towns was looking like a borderline MVP candidate, maybe not even borderline. Uh, borderline might not even be doing it justice. He 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 looked uh, pretty pretty dominant. The team has just really struggled recently, though, um, and that's been at home, and that's been away. This team, let, let me see if I can find it, um, they, they have really struggled at home this year, which is pretty surprising uh, in the NBA. You don't really ever see a team that is worse on the road than at home, unless it's just a bad team, which, you know what, it's starting to look like this team might just be bad. Yeah, so the Timberwolves are currently uh, 11 and 20. They are 8 and 9 on the road and 3 and 11 at home. Uh, that's rough. That is rough. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. That's. I don't really know what you do about something like that. That's that's pretty appalling. Um, 3 and 11 at home for a team that was. I mean, they they are trying to make the playoffs at this point. They're not they're not rebuilding, right? At the very least, um, they're four years into this version of the rebuild. F sorry, five years in. Starting with Andrew Wiggins. The acquisition of Andrew Wiggins. Uh, traded Kevin Love to Cleveland in return for Andrew Wiggins and Anthony Bennett, two back-to-back -back number one overall picks. That was the triggering of the Minnesota rebuild. The, ne the very next year, they got the number one overall pick again, drafted Carl Anthony Towns. And ever since, I, I mean, they're not in a rebuild, right? <laughs> this is this is the same. This is their core. This is what they've drafted. This is what they've stuck with. They're five years into this iteration of the team. Bringing in Jimmy Butler uh, certainly hampered that development. But I don't think you can just claim that this is a new iteration of the team because you brought in Jimmy Butler and now he left. Your cornerstones are still here. They've been here the whole time. You haven't flipped them. So... These guys are five years into this team, and they're going 11 and 20. And losing their last game was a loss to Cleveland. I mean, wait, this is this is this is bad. This is horrible. Um, it, it was hard to imagine that Robert Covington would get traded coming into the season just because if this Minnesota team was competitive, he would be so so vital to their success. And to be to be clear, he has been vital to their success uh, in their in their wins. It's just that they're not winning very often. Um, I certainly think it would be reasonable to see him getting traded. It looks at this point like the Timberwolves' uh, window of contention is still a couple of years down the line. I think that's the big conclusion to come to here. Um, so as for their um, possible action in the trade market, again, this is a sort of tier of teams I think they are not going out and calling trying to make trades actively, they will pick up the phone, however. Um, I, I think the number one guy you're looking at as the Timberwolves is Jeff Teague. Uh, Teague has put up pretty good stats this year, although he has sort of just been the same old guy. Um, there's the, there's the 
now infamous clip uh, running around, fl- fl- floating around of Carl Anthony Towns standing at the top of the uh, above the break at the three point arc. Uh, Jeff T sort of just has the ball on the wing. Carl uh, or Towns calls for the ball. Teague sort of waves him off, does a couple of drill moves, and goes in. And the whole time, Towns is sitting there calling for the ball, and his hands go progressively higher and higher as he gets progressively more exasperated and exasperated with Jeff Teague. Uh, it's hilarious. If you haven't seen it, definitely go look it up. Uh, <laughs> if you need a link, I can find one for you because it is phenomenal. Um, outside of that, though, Jeff Teague is. I mean, so. I think the thing with Teague is he's always been a, a player that um, uh, sort of, I, I don't want to say casual analysts. Um, I, I would say followers of the team are always lower on than the average uh, NBA consumer. Because um, when you look at his numbers, yeah, he can fit this guy into a team. He's shooting 86% from the line this year. Shooting uh, thirty 37.8% from three. That's really impressive. He can fit that guy with, Couple of superstars, right? Uh, well, maybe six point four assists. Wow, right? Well, the thing is, Jeff Teague is, you know, he's a point guard um, in the purest sense. Shout out Dave DeFore there, po- pure point guard. Uh, pure point guard is a myth. Um, but, but in this case, when I say pure point guard, I mean a dominant ball handling player, a guy that is initiating the offense or is doing absolutely nothing positive for your team. Unfortunately, uh, Ben Simmons has sort of been the prototypical guy for this, and, e- and even him, um, you have to imagine in certain situations he would, he would be able to set much more impactful screens and act as a, you know, it, it, it seems really shocking that we haven't seen uh, Ben Simmons in the Draymond role, at the short role, as, as much um I think if you saw him on a team where he was uh, not beside a, a guy as good as Joel Embiid, you would probably have seen a lot more of that with a guy like Ben Simmons. I think the difference is Jeff Teague is not Ben Simmons. He is not that size. He is not that talented. Uh, and he is nowhere near the defensive force. Uh, and again, I mentioned Teague, 6.4 assists. Yeah, he's putting up 2.3 turnovers too. Um Again, that's that's a, that's a great ratio. It's great for a point guard, but he's like a he's maybe the fifteenth best starting point guard in the league, maybe the eighteenth best, maybe the twentieth best. Well, if you're the eighteenth best starting point guard in the league, and our offense has to run through you, our team's not going to be very good. If you're the eighteenth best point guard in the league, and you can uh, play like Fred Van Vliet or George Hill. And, or Malcolm Brogdon, and you can stay off the ball, and you can shoot and hit open shots, and you can um, be a calming presence to your teammates. You can be a, a facilitator rather than a um, creator. You can you can just move the ball and, and and continue the play rather than creating the play yourself. I do not I do not believe Jeff Teague fits into that category. I believe he uh, needs the ball, and if he's not going to have the ball, he's not creating the offense, he's not going to be very effective for your offense. So, all that to say, Jeff Teague, um, I I don't know that he's quite the enticing trade asset that you might think on first glance. Uh, He is uh, an expiring 
he, sorry, he is on an expiring contract, uh, $19 million he's making this season. That's pretty reasonable. Uh, I mean, when you think about it, I think Reggie Jackson on the Pistons probably makes a similar amount. And I would say, uh, uh, <laughs> you would probably, I think you would take Jeff Teague over Reggie Jackson pretty safely. Uh, though I, I don't feel particularly um, happy picking either of them if I'm building if I'm building a really high level team. Um, I, I, I think that's so. I guess I think Jeff Teague is. You're doing more like fair for fair. Maybe what you would do is if you could trade him to. Um, I don't know, maybe if, if you wanted to trade him to, like, Atlanta for... And obviously, um, Atlanta's probably not going to trade for Jeff T because he's not going to go in and be a backup point guard, and Trey Young's not going to be a backup point guard either. So I see I see a, a bit of a conundrum there, especially uh, two guys that really need the ball. But just, just theoretically, you, you trade uh, Jeff Teague for a guy like... Evan Turner or Alan Crabb, who makes about that same 18, 19 million. Uh, I, th I think that's probably the, probably a lot of the guys on the 2016 uh, sour contracts that are still out there. They're, they're all expiring this year, you know, coming up on the 2020 off season. Um, that'll be the fourth year. Most of those guys did sign four year deals. The ones that switched teams, uh, obviously a guy like Nicholas Batum will have another year after this because he uh, re-signed with the Hornets and had five years on his deal. But, there's certainly not nearly as many of these just albatross contracts as there used to be. Uh, guys like uh, Timofey Mozgov getting waived uh, and sort of, you know, I believe he's uh, pretty seriously injured um, to the point where team, uh, I believe the Magic it was had him. They were able to get a an injured player um, sort of exception. They were able to get some financial relief due to his injury, so... Um, I don't think he's going to be playing basketball anytime soon, unfortunately. At least not in the NBA, it looks like. Um, point being, though, there's just fewer of those contracts out there. there. There are some, though. There are some. Kent Bazemore with the Trailblazers. That's another team. It makes absolutely no sense for them to trade for Jeff Teague. So, yeah, I would have to look at that. Uh, and maybe I will later on with some of these uh, active teams. The other one, though, obviously... Uh, 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 sorry, and the idea would be you're trading Jeff Teague uh, for Bazemore plus, and Bazemore might be closer to even value, but um, you, you trade Jeff Teague for Evan Turner and a second round pick or, or two second round picks. Um, I, I think that would be pretty, pretty reasonable value. Um, you, you, you would have to see. You'd have to see what you could uh, sort of get there. Uh, the last thing, though, Gorgie Jang is making, what is it, $16.2 million this year and $17.3 million next year. Um, he is not a particularly effective player, not particularly worth $16.2 million. Um, I just, I, I'm not, I, I would be a little surprised if the Timberwolves decide to move him. They are $24 million over the cap this year, I, I believe, um, if I if I'm looking at this right, and, but they still have there's still 7.3 million dollars clear of the tax, so they're not necessarily at risk of having to pay the tax. I think you probably just eat the contract for another year, 
um, next year, again, they're not going to have cap space in the offseason. Uh, they already have Wiggins and Towns signed to $30 million deals, plus Jang on his 17, plus Covington on his 12 million. Although, if you moved Gorgie Jang, it's possible you could create some room. Uh, probably not much, though. If anything, they would probably be just creating a little bit of cap space, and then maybe they could use their um, uh, non the full the full MLE. I don't know if that would be an advantage they could sort of get on the margins there. I don't. I just don't find that um, compelling because I think you would have to give up significant assets to move off of Gorgie Jang at this point. I don't think that's controversial. I think that's widely accepted. Um, and do you really want to give up on? Josh Okoji just to get off of Gorgie Jang. I mean, they would never do that. They would never do that, but they don't really have young guys to trade, so it's probably just a first round attached to them. And I mean, it may be a lottery protected first um, in, a, in, a, in a pretty recent year. Uh, sorry, a pretty uh, one of the next couple of years, not one that's in 2024. Maybe that gets it done. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, that's that's a lot of dead salary to take on, and not just for a year, but for two years. Um, that is very tough to maneuver around if you're a team taking that on. <laughs> it's very tough to maneuver around if you're the Minnesota Timberwolves, which is why I'm talking about this right now. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult to really even envision the Timberwolves being able to attach enough value to get off of him um, without it being just irresponsible. I mean... I feel like at some point you just have to put two lottery-protected first-round picks to Gorgie Jang to get rid of him, and that's, that's irresponsible. That's just um, that's just irresponsible. That would not be a good move. So I, again, I think this team will listen. If someone wants to make an offer for Jeff Teague, if someone's a, a Jeff Teague diehard fan, uh, I believe they will certainly be actively listening there. Uh, Rob Covington, I think they will be passively listening. But if someone makes a great deal that they can't pass up on, which is, again, likely not uh, a couple, you know, decent draft picks or a uh, decent prospect, it's either going to be like players that can actually play in your rotation right now or a legitimate prospect. I, I, I just, I don't think, I think, um, there, there are some teams, I think Memphis is interested in picking up guys like Grayson Allen and see if they can turn them into a decent rotation player. The Minnesota Timberwolves just do not really care about that sort of thing. They have their stars. They are not trying to make it. They, they can't take on a three-year project to turn a guy into a decent role player. They don't have the time. They have Cat. They have Wiggins. They are on a time crunch now. They are on the clock. They do not have time to develop some guy for three years. They'd rather keep Robert Covington. They have him under contract for th three years, two more years after this season. Um, I mean, he's going to be under 12. He's not going to be, he's going to be 12.1 and then 12.9 million. That's incredible. That's incredible value. Um, it, it, it's 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 really difficult to see anyone matching that value for the Timberwolves because if you're going for him, you're getting him as a complimentary player on a contending team. But to get him from the Timberwolves, I believe you're going to have to give up real uh, va value that is not just uh, value in a, in a vacuum, but value that would actually 
be valuable to this contending team that is trading for Covington. So I think that really changes the dynamic when the Timberwolves are asking for assets that are not sort of dormant for this other team. Say, um, it, I guess I can't think of any specific examples, but if you're asking for a couple young players on the fringe of the rotation or not in the rotation, uh, for instance, uh, Zaire Smith in Philly. Asking for Zaire Smith in Philly is a lot different than asking for Matisse Thibel in Philly. Uh, I think Matisse Thibel is more of a legit impact player. Um, but, uh, but Sorry, he's, he's a legit impact player, but the, the, the big point I guess I was trying to make is that he's already in the rotation. Taking him out of Philly's rotation is a serious blow. And yes, if you were able to get Robert Covington and give up Matisse Thibel, that's probably a trade you're willing to make. Um, I'm just, just, you know, in a vacuum, but the point being, it's a lot more favorable for these contending teams. If they can send out a bad contract and a, a, a decent prospect that's on their bench that they just haven't been able to find any minutes for because they have too much depth there already. And a couple second round picks. It's a lot harder to trade real rotation pieces for better rotation pieces because then you're just getting value on the margin, which I, I love value on the margin, okay? I, I, I always talk about value on the margin. But value on the margin is not as valuable as just pure value. Uh, sorry, it's not as valuable as just pure value, not on the margin, just um, as opposed to trading two and getting four, you trade zero and get three. Well, it's a better net gain. Um, obviously, this is all a bit simplistic. I'm, I'm you know, um, dumbing it down a little bit just because just that's how I think about it. But um, I, I guess overall, Timberwolves, I would be a little, a little dubious that they're going to make a deal. I think if they make a deal, it's a Jeff Teague trade. I do not, I don't see the Robert Covington trade happening. That that's That's the point I was trying to make, I guess. Now that I say it out loud, I, I definitely uh, believe that was the point I was trying to make. Um, yeah, so that that's the last of my teams. Um, I was going to go ahead and do a few of the teams I already have notes on for the trade deadline, but we're in an hour 10 now. I'm going to go ahead and take this to a part two. Um, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see in this next segment um, or, or in this part two. Uh, may end up going three parts. We'll see. Uh, I might keep it down. It depends. There's a lot of teams. Uh, let's see. 11 to be specific. 10 and then one in its own subcategory that I think is um, more of an active, active, active listener. Uh, and... Again, I'll talk about all this on the next podcast. Uh, clearly, I'm <laughs> clearly I'm running out of steam right now. Um, I let's yeah, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, thank you all for joining me. I had a great time doing this so far. I love hopping in the trade machine and just you know, it's it's more than figuring out the salaries and the structure of the trade. That's always fun, obviously, but that's fun in its own right. But what I really love is. Um, this initial initial period in in um in data analytics there's this phrase EDA exploratory data analysis and it's th this first instance that you open this data set and, and you have 
either you you're just given a data set and say find me some insets or you're given a data set with a question hey uh, how does this impact our bottom line or something very vague along those lines where, where you're just seeing what's out there um, it, it, you perform exploratory data analysis you just look at the data see if you can find anything uh, abnormal with it see if there's anything that sticks out right away just sort of you know try to um, figure out what the data is because you don't have any context behind the data you are guessing at the context and I believe using the trade machine um, I, I I like the obviously figure out the minutia of the trade trying to get it uh, to fit up per the CBA but the most fun thing for me is trying to predict the context what are these teams thinking what does Boston think about their team this year? What does Boston think about each of their individual players? What does Boston think about each of the individual players on the other 29 teams? What does Boston think about the opposing GMs and either how uh, difficult they are to work with or how you know savvy they are? So I, I may want to avoid uh, trading with them because I don't want to get screwed. But, but beyond that, just the context of, you know, how, how do the fans value this player? How um, will ownership react if I try to make this deal? I think there's so many um, behind-the-scenes sort of checks and balances that go on in these front offices that we don't really think about. It's just like, oh, Danny Ainge makes this great deal. It's like, well, well yeah, Danny Ainge is probably uh, pivotal in making that deal, but there were also probably 30 other people heavily involved in it um, and probably three or four other people that you could give, you know, uh, large swaths of the credit too. Um, I, I, I think it's just so interesting trying to consider these team dynamics beyond just salary caps and numbers on a paper uh, because you know what happens in the real world? People consider those sort of things because you know what happens? Danny Ainge has to walk in uh, to, the, to the meeting with the board of directors and pitch them on why he wants to trade Isaiah Thomas who has been a icon for this Celtics team and has sacrificed more than uh, could be imagined. I think that's just a really tough thing. I don't know. So it's a tough. It's it's a lot different than using the trade machine. Uh, it takes a much different set of skills. It takes a much different uh, way of not a way of operating, but you know, a, a, a different way of thinking. You have to do things a lot differently. Uh, to sell a trade to your ownership than to negotiate with a rival GM. It's a, it's a much different art. There's a reason Daryl Morey was much more successful uh, with uh, who's the, the previous owner before uh, uh, b before Tillman for Tida, um Le Leslie Alexander. Leslie Alexander was the, um, the 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 previous Houston owner was much more just I think a lot easier to work with. Uh, uh, from from Daryl Morey's point of view, I think Daryl's probably very Type A. Uh, I, I, I can relate with that, and, and I think he probably has trouble dealing with Fertitta and some of his similarly Type A ways. Um, and I think Fertitta just has very fundamental ideas of the way that business works, the way that financial transactions work, uh, the way that the world works, and I I believe. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily fit with winning a title in the NBA. 
sometimes in the NBA to, to win a title, you're making moves that are not financially savvy. Um, if you're making every move that's financially savvy, you're probably going to win like 35 games every year because that's not what the NBA is about. Um, if, if you want to be financially savvy, go into you know the real estate industry. <laughs> that's not what sports uh, that's not what sports is about. Um, and I think to be able to handle a guy like Fertitta and to show him the ropes of owning an NBA team, which sounds bizarre, but that's part of the job of the GM because these owners are generally not lifelong basketball uh, minds. They are not people that have been in this sort of role for several years. They've been CEOs before. Yeah, but being a CEO is way different than an owner of a basketball team because, as I'm saying, it's not about how much profit can we make. It is about winning a title. It is a singular goal um, beyond financial, you know, monetary ramifications. It's 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 a lot different, and I think it is very difficult to grasp that. Especially the reason I mentioned for today, he's he's a guy who comes into owning a sports franchise when he's like in his sixties. Well, he's not going to change his ways. He's not going to come in and be like, oh oh yeah. Okay, so I'm not trying to make a profit anymore. I, I just spend a, a lot of money and I go into this tax, uh, which I could just easily avoid by, you know, making my team marginally worse. You know, it's profitable, so it's worth it. Uh, you're telling me instead I should just spend a whole ton of money on uh, old ass Trevor Ariza. Yeah, I just, I, I think you're going to have a difficult time convincing um, Tillman Fertitta of that. And that's not even to, to talk about owners like Michael Jordan or James Dolan that are just sort of, um, you know, conundrums in their own right, sort of. I, we don't need to get into all of that. I think I've sort of dug deep enough in the weeds. I, I just, I've, I, I, I've really enjoyed this exercise. Um, I really like the idea of trying to put yourself into the shoes of these general managers beyond just, okay, how do I make a positive asset for asset trade? It's how do I make this trade within the context of my job on my team uh, with these players on this team this year against these other teams. That's it, There's just so many factors to consider. Um, can't fit them all into a 280-character tweet, that's for sure. So what do I do instead? Record a good hour 20 podcast on it. Um, yeah, y'all stay tuned for the next uh, part two. I, I will try to drop part two, uh, if not the same day this comes out, probably not uh, within the next, <clears throat> excuse me, two days. Uh, I will keep y'all posted. Stay tuned. I hope y'all enjoyed. If you did, leave a review. Maybe leave a rating if you'd like. Uh, subscribe if you would like to keep up with future episodes. Uh, and again, just, you know, hit me up uh, with any feedback, recommendations, insights you may have. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. I'll see y'all later. Uh, peace out.